I wasn't kidding about the phone. Y'all, y'all need to treat Jerry Dobson better. I didn't recognize him. He's supposed to be younger than I am, but he's aged faster. Last time I saw him, his hair was still black. So was that thing on his mouth. Now he's all white. Uh, Jerry, this is sort of like getting to be like uh, old home week or something when I come down here. There's so many people I've known other places. Uh, Jerry's father and I served together at uh, the old Saner Church for 10 years as elders over there. Uh, of course, Joyce, Tommy were with us for 15 years, I think, when Tommy led singing for us. Uh, known the Patton's for a long time, and so it's it's good to see uh, old friends. The bio is getting shorter because my life is getting shorter. Uh, you know, at, at the end, it's going to say he was here and now he's gone, and that'll be appropriate, I guess. They asked me to speak on running the Christian race by obedience. Obedience is going the way of everything else in our society in terms of standards and conduct and so forth. Uh, it's, it's interesting because you have people on both sides of the political aisle and now on the religious aisle that challenge the concept of obedience. We've got preachers in the Lord's Church now who are teaching that we are wrong to emphasize obedience, that that's strictly a peripheral issue. Uh, right here in the city of Dallas, we've got more preachers. Uh, some of them are not preaching anymore, and that's not a loss either, but we've got a lot of preachers who uh, don't understand why we're still preaching faith, repentance, and baptism. Uh, because, quite frankly, they believe that anybody who says Jesus is Lord is saved, whether they do anything else or not. Uh, there was a friend of mine who's since passed, but his daughter was attending a congregation, and her husband was not a member of the church. And she went to the preacher, and she asked if he would agree to hold a Bible study with him. And he said, yeah. And, he, and she said, uh, uh, well, he, he's never been baptized. And he said, well, what church is he a member of? And he, she told him, and he said, well, why would you want to baptize him? And it was a denominational church that did not believe in baptism for any reason. And when they baptized, they sprinkled. So, you know, there's, there's obvious problems here. Uh, we had another preacher in the area that <clears throat> wrote a big article uh, because uh, in his prison ministry, he baptized 50 men one one weekend at, at the prison uh, over in Siegelville. But uh, he chastised us in the local newspaper because uh, we still held to baptism. Now, these are guys who think that people in Russia or Africa or in prison need to be baptized, but denominational people who are sincere do not need to be baptized. And the whole issue of obedience, and we'll talk about one other area about that uh, toward the end of our study this evening. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, 
the writer there has gone through that long expose on faith, and he said, we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. I think he's referring to the people in chapter 11. And then he says, since we have this great cloud of witnesses, we need to be careful that we are not held back by the things that so easily uh, enslave or encumber us. And we need to run with diligence the set-before-us race, because that's what Jesus did. Paul will tell the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9 that nobody can win a race unless he runs it and runs according to the pattern, the race, the standard. All races have a a pattern, a standard, whether it's a loop, whether it's cross-country, whether it's uh, a 10-yard, a 40-yard dash, or a a mile race, or whatever it is. There are certain rules that apply, and if you violate any of those, you're out. It doesn't make any difference. Uh, They do this with horses. They do it with cars. Uh, I haven't watched in a long time, but some of you probably did uh, watch the Kentucky Derby. I hope you didn't lose any money. <laughs> but, you know, they disqualified the person who supposedly won it because they were not following the rules. Every Everything in life has rules. If, excuse me, even physical life has rules. You must breathe. Uh, you must eat. These are just things that, that have to be done. So obedience has a place that is absolutely essential to anything that we want to get done. Uh, The simple fact of the matter is, is that in Scripture, the word obey, one dictionary says, is used mostly, mostly in reference to the will of God. God is to be obeyed. So what I want us to do tonight is I want to see what's happening with this concept of obedience, and then I want to see uh, the fact itself, and then I want to see uh, our relationship to the Lord in that matter. In the Old Testament, the word that is primarily referred to as to obey is uh, Shania. David probably knows this better than I do because I'm not into Hebrew. I can pronounce some of it, but I can't say it. Uh, you know, but we call it the Shema. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shalt thou serve. The Shema. Hear. And it's usually translated here, but it's also translated obey. Uh, Simeon, Samuel, all of those types of names come from that root word. God has heard, or God hears, or something similar to that. When the law was given by uh, the Lord to Moses in Exodus 20 and verse 6, he said, I am a loving and compassionate and forgiving God to thousands of generations, to those who 
love me and obey or hear my voice. And then he mentions the same thing again over in Deuteronomy 10, where he talks about hearing my commandments. And then he does it again in Deuteronomy 5 when he says, obey my voice. Now, in all of these passages, and there are some others that are parallel, but they're not quite the same. I think there's seven times in the Old Testament where God says, I am loving and forgiving to all who obey me, love me and obey my commandments. But notice how he attaches that. Loving me and obeying my commandments. In the New Testament, you have basically two words. Uh, one is hupokae. And that literally means to listen from above. And it carries with it, obviously, the idea, especially spiritually, of the fact that God is speaking and we are listening. And then you have uh, the other word, which is quite similar but not exactly the same, hypostasol, which means literally to stand under or to place under. And so finally it comes to mean to subject. So to subject ourselves to God is to obey God to be submissive to his word and his will. Obedience is to something and to someone. Again, all of life works on this principle. We sometimes have to obey an object. Now, there may be people that represent the object, or there may not be. You've got laws. If the only time you obey the speed limit is when you see a policeman... Uh, you're wrong because the law is still there, whether there's anybody there to enforce it or not. We have uh, obvious standards that have to be uh, met to get through professional schools, law schools, medicine, pharmacy, whatever. We have various functions and, and uh, organizations that have things that must be obeyed. We have uh, discipline. And discipline, unfortunately, has come to mean punishment, but that's not really its basic meaning. Discipline comes from disciple. And in order to be disciplined, there has to be an active obedience. We have uh, various habits we obey them. Some are good, some may be not good. But we are subject to them. And they have a certain amount of authority over us. And if they're a bad habit, very often they can become an addiction. And we have to obey that. How many people have you ever talked to that said, well, I just can't help it. Or there's just nothing I can do about it. Or whatever it is excuse that they want to make. Actually, it's not so much of an excuse as they are telling us the truth. We have to be obedient to various things as well as to various people. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, most of you grew up in a time 
in which it would never have occurred to you in 99.999% of the cases to ever challenge your parents. But I, I hope you don't bother with the news anymore, but if you do, I can guarantee you every time there's a news story on, you're going to have two cases that are going to be in the news. One is parents abusing children, and another is of children killing parents. It goes on every day. Just the other day, they had a lady on, I take that back. They had a girl on television, and uh, she was crying. And she said she missed her mother, whom she had just stabbed 30 times. Now, the simple fact of the matter is, is parents serve, especially for small children, in place of God. That's one reason he commanded children to obey your parents. A child can't understand eternity. A child cannot understand judgment. A child cannot understand the law of the Lord. But they can understand the rule of the parents. And so, for a while at least, God has imposed upon parents the role that he has himself toward those parents. Children are to obey teachers, even older children. And by that I mean people in college and graduate school. I can remember during the, the tragic summer of 1968 when college campuses all over the country and all over the world were being torn apart by disruptive students, sometimes with the encouragement of the people that were supposed to be in control of them. But the simple fact of the matter is, is that now, all the way down to kindergarten and even preschool, you have teachers who are subject to mental and physical abuse by students because they have not been taught and it has not been enforced that they have to obey a teacher. <clears throat> Unfortunately, my dad was a radical. He told me that if I got in trouble at school, I'd be in worse trouble when I got home. And he only had to enforce that once. And uh, I did the same thing with my boys, and fortunately, I didn't have to enforce that. But the simple fact of the matter is, is that children are to obey teachers. Obviously, we are to obey superiors, whether it's in school, whether it's in the military, whether it's a, a civic organization. I love it when a, a preacher of ours one time said, you know what I do when a policeman pulls me over? He said, I say, thank you, sir. And then I signed the ticket, and I wish him a good day. He said, I have too much respect for that uniform to sue anything else. And that is a fact of our existence that, again, has been thrown away. We are to obey. There are too many instances in which we as a society have tried to take the side of people who got themselves in serious trouble. In some cases, they got themselves dead because they wouldn't obey the rule of law as given by a man in uniform. And the fact of the matter is, is obedience is, is always a case of being subject to superiors of any kind, in any field. Players have to be in subjection to their coaches, and uh, soldiers are always in, in subjection to their uh, superiors. Now, there's always a case where somebody is doing something wrong in superiority. That, that, that's, how, that's an understood problem. But it does not justify the overall concept that we don't have to obey authority because we either disagree with it 
or simply don't like it. And we are especially required to obey the law, both his law, which is an object, and him, his person. Jesus himself asked the question, why do you call me Lord and do not do the things that I say? That question has as valid now as it was the day he asked it. Remember at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, everybody in the world knows about the Sermon on the Mount. Most people like it. And even members of the church can tell you parts of it. But at the end of it, he said, everyone who hears my words and does the will of my Father in heaven is a wise man. Everybody who doesn't do the will of my Father in heaven is like a fool. That's pretty plain. Jesus wants us to obey him. God wants us to obey him through and in Jesus. And it is a matter of choice. In Romans, the sixth chapter, when Paul is, he started off, you know, talking about baptism, but as he got, got through the chapter, he was telling those brethren what that meant. And he gets down to verse 16 and he said, do you not know that to whom you yield yourselves, servants, slaves, if you would, to obey his slaves you are, whether under righteousness, which is life everlasting, or under sin, which is under death. But we have a choice. We have to decide. Now, you know, you may not like him, you may like him, you may not even remember him, but do you remember old Bob Dylan? About 1975 or 76, he had kind of a religious experience and he started reading the Bible. Uh, he claimed he was converted. I have my doubts, but He's better than he used to be. And he said, he came out with a, a big hit song, made the top 40. He said, you've got to serve somebody. And the refrain in it was, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. I think he must have been reading Romans 6 and verse 16. The simple fact of the matter is, is that obedience is a way of life. Whether we're obeying what's bad or what's good, whether we're obeying what's right or what's wrong, it's still a matter of our personal choice. The, con the concept of obedience. Why do we need to be obedient? What's the point? Again, in our society, we're getting as far away from it that uh, this is becoming a difficult question to answer, but it's not scriptural. The Lord has always required obedience. God in his wisdom knows that nothing works unless everything works together. So he created a world. And we'll come back to this in just a little bit. But everything in this world obeys God. It does exactly what it's supposed to do. And he put man in it on the basis of the fact that man would do what man was supposed to do. God required obedience in Eden. My goodness, he gave Adam and Eve only two commandments, and they violated half of them. But it wasn't anything that was difficult. It wasn't anything that they couldn't understand. The simple truth of the matter is, is that they chose to be disobedient. And then you come up to a later time, and you've got uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. you got Noah. Now, Noah, again, and none of these people were perfect. It's not a matter of never sinning. But the idea is that they listened to God and they tried to do what he said. 
you know, we were only about four or five years old when somebody told us the first time about Noah and the ark and made it quite plain that if Noah had not built the ark exactly like God said to do it or the or with what God said to do it or put the animals in it like God said to do it, Noah would not have survived. It's just that plain and simple. I don't know why nobody else believed him. Later on, the New Testament say Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So apparently he spent about 120 years and he didn't make any converts. But the fact of the matter is, is that Noah was obedient. Abraham was obedient, not just in leaving her to the Chaldees, but in everything else, and especially in the offering of Isaac. God has always insisted on obedience. When the people came out of the promised land and, were, and uh, got across the river and had conquered part of the promised land, Joshua was getting ready to go the way of all the earth, and he makes those people pledge that they will be obedient to God. And they said, yes, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said, no, you won't. And, jo- and Moses had told them the same thing about 10 years earlier. Both of those men had been with them for 40 years out of the wilderness. You remember what they started doing three days after they left Egypt. And the fact of the matter is, they knew that they were not a people who were inclined to be obedient. I rather suspect the Egyptians had had the same experience in the previous 400 years. But God has always required obedience. Uh, he requires obedience, and so he gives commandments. Worked for a guy one time. I don't know whether he'd had a stroke or whether he, you know, had a health problem. I, I just wasn't sure. Two of his nephews were running his company for him, and then he came back and took it over again. And quite frankly, uh, he, he, he would give you both sides of the coin at the same time. Uh, one morning we all came in and he said, okay, I need all that equipment checked. I need to make sure it's up to date, blah, 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 blah. He said, I want it done before you leave here today. So we got out there in that morning, and, of course, I was actually trying to do what he said. Now, some guy just got in and drove off, you know, because they didn't have time to mess with it. I thought he meant to do that. So I was doing it. About five minutes later, he walked out and said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm checking the equipment. He said, you haven't got time for that now. Go with it. You know, we, 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 had, we had this kind of a problem all the time. I asked one of his nephews, finally, I said, what is the deal anyway? And he said, well... Uh, you know, he, he decided he wanted to be a gentleman farmer and he got out of the business and moved away a hundred miles. After he got bored with it, he came back and took the business over, but by that time we'd completely redone it. And he wants to get it back to the way it was when he was running it, and so we have all these problems. But obedience is mandatory. Sometimes it's not convenient and sometimes it certainly is not pleasant. We'll come back to that in just a little bit. But God gave commandments. Again, we saw that passage in Exodus 20 where God told those people that I am a loving God and forgiving and compassionate to those who obey me. But here's the beauty of what God does. He gives us exactly what he requires. We don't have to guess. We don't have to speculate. We don't have to wonder what if. God always tells us. One of the things that has hurt the church in the latter part of the 20th and all of the 21st century 
is that too many of our people have said, well, you know, it, it's hard to understand what God wants. Just the other day, I, I had a conversation via email with a, a man that I had admired for a long time, but I, I guess he's gone the way of somebody. But at any rate, uh, he had just recommended a man on the basis of his deep biblical study and his knowledge of the Word and so forth. So I fired off an email, and I said, Do you have any idea what this guy does? I said, He is a guy that came up with the idea that he went and, and looked at the background of Solo, and so he said the word literally means to pluck a string, and then here it comes. He wrote a letter to all the churches in Dallas saying God has commanded instrumental music. Now, that doesn't represent sound biblical scholarship to me, let alone anything else. And here's one of our better-known guys making a recommendation for him. And I just said, you know, I, I wondered if something had happened. And one of our one of our mutual friends said, well, you know, he's had health problems. I said, well, thank goodness. You know, maybe there's some hope for him. But the simple fact of the matter is God has told us everything. Peter says he has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. What kind of a God would try to communicate to us but not tell us what it was that he wanted us to know or be able to understand? I mean, it, it, most of us probably speak English and some of you speak Spanish and there may be a couple of you that speak Italian or something else. But usually we speak to our kids in the common language of the family. I know about six words in Russian. I'm going to repeat four of them to one of my doctors next week because he's from Russia. But the fact of the matter is, is I've never talked to anybody in Russian because I don't know of anybody that I'm aware of that speaks the language. It would be silly even if I knew it. They wouldn't understand it. What people are accusing God of is giving us a revealed, written expression of what he wants but he can't, he can't do it in a way that we can understand it and comply with it. God wants our obedience, and so he has given us commandments. And the Lord requires obedience in the true sense of a test of our spirituality. Remember when Jesus is about to go to the cross. You're meeting there with the disciples, John 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. And he has these lengthy conversations. And right in the middle of it, John 13, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Excuse me, that's John 14. He'll say it again in a little different way in John 15. Jesus wanted us to realize that God wanted our obedience. He wants it as a proof of our love. Now, see, one of the problems of, of the majority of the world under the umbrella of Christendom is, you know, we can say that we love Jesus and, and uh, all the other deals, and we can even say Je Jesus loves us, which is a great song. But the simple fact of the matter is, most of the religious world, including far too many members of the church, believe that we can say we love God, but we don't have to be submissive to his will. We've got a congregation in the largest city in the United States that has a woman preacher and woman elders. And uh, 
their justification is, well, we're not followers of the apostles. We're only followers of Jesus. They're not even doing a good job of that. And there's no way you can deny or defy or, or damage the written, revealed word of God and then claim to love the Lord. It's just not possible. We love the Lord by keeping his commandments. It is a test of our faith. Our modern preachers have all jumped on Romans as a, as a good book. Romans is the treatise on grace. Chapter 5, chapter 7, chapter 3 uh, all emphasize the grace of God and then chapter 8 kind of puts a cap on it. But it is a great treatise on grace. And so a lot of our preachers have run to that, but they don't even pay attention to the fact that it opens with the idea you have been obedient in faith and it closes with the same expression your obedience of faith Romans 1 and verse 5 Romans 16 and verse 29 obedience of faith because that's how we come into contact with God's grace it doesn't deny God's grace but God has always required commandments as a test of our faith what do you think Hebrews 11 is about all of these died in faith. And in every case that he cites, God said something and they did it. Obedience. Abel's sacrifice, Noah's ark, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and he goes on through all the way to the end of that chapter. God has always required obedience as a test of faith. And he requires obedience as a test of worship. That is why all of the innovation and the changes and so forth that are being done in worship are risky at best. That doesn't mean they're all wrong, but I think we'd been better off if we'd just left things as they were. We, we've gone too far a long time ago in tampering with worship because we didn't do what God said to do. Over in 1 Samuel, the classic example... Samuel is late getting to wherever Saul was. Saul, of course, will try and pass it off as somebody else's fault. But the fact is that he offered a sacrifice that, according to the law, he should not have offered and, and was not right to offer. And Samuel comes up to him and says, what are you doing? Well, you know, everybody was getting ready to go home, and we decided we just had to have the Lord's Supper here Thursday night. And then Samuel looked at him and said, to obey is better than sacrifice. Now, here's what here's the significance of that in the Old Testament. If you'll go back, you might find an occasional exception, but I can't think of any right offhand. To worship and to sacrifice were one and the same thing in the Old Testament. You don't find anybody going to worship, whether it was at an altar, whether it was at the tabernacle, wherever it was, that they did not offer a sacrifice. What Saul, was, what Saul was told, what Samuel said by the power of God is to obey is better than to worship. So the only way we can really worship consistently is to worship in accordance with the commandments of God and to be obedient to him. So anything that is an innovation that tampers with the authority of God in worship is therefore not only disobedience, but it also isn't worship. I mean, you can talk about worship in spirit and worship in truth all you want to, and, and you can tamper with the idea of what worship in truth is, and there may be some variation. But the fact of the matter is you cannot worship 
and be disobedient to God. It's simply not possible. To obey is better. And then worship uh, or the Lord is our example of obedience. The Lord is the object of our obedience. God is to be obeyed. Interestingly, nature obeys God. Remember when the disciples out there on Galilee, storm comes up, Jesus is asleep in the boat. I've always been curious about what in the world they must have been thinking. I mean, you know, Jesus is there, and they've, they've said they believe what he's saying. I mean, they've been with him about a year, a year and a half now. And, you know, he's asleep down there. Master, we're, we're going to drown. And Jesus gets up. Peace, be still. Who is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. The universe does what God says. The earth does what God says. Creation does what God says. We still have spring and summer and winter and fall, even if in Texas they sometimes get mixed up. We still have uh, rain and we still have sunshine and we still grow food in the ground and we still uh, grow animals. And I mean, everything in nature does exactly what God wants it to do. And then in those miracles, Jesus performed even the demons. Even the de- in Mark 1, he cast a demon out of a man. What kind of teaching is this that even the demons are in subjection to him? And then in Mark 5, you've got the Gadarene demoniacs. And uh, the long and the short of it is, is that the demons were afraid of Jesus. Have you come to destroy us before the time? And so Jesus commands it, and Jesus negotiates with them. And they said, please don't destroy us. Let us run over yonder and, and join that herd of hogs. And Jesus is, is extending grace to them. And so he says, okay. And you know the rest of that story. But Jesus was in control of the demons. He was in control of nature. He was in control of death. Every time he attended a funeral, the funeral ended with a resurrection. At least as far as the scriptures are concerned. The only thing that Jesus does not have in automatic obedience, that God does not have in automatic obedience to him, is man. We're the only one who thinks that we can do what we want and that we do not have to be obedient to God. Everything else complies. Animals, uh, vegetable, mineral, creation, space. You know, we just sent a rocket off last night to launch 13 satellites. One of the satellites that it's going to have is an atomic clock. And the reason that they're sending that is because they have to get more precise about time in terms of motion and so forth before they can even consider interplanetary travel. The technology we have to get to the moon won't work on planets further out. So they've got to come up with some new ways to guide whatever kind of vehicles we wind up using. The simple fact of the matter is that everything 
obeys God except man. And lastly, we have examples of obedience, the primary one of which is Jesus. I don't know how long ago it was. It hasn't been that long. But a few years ago, I was reading, and all of a sudden, John 15 and verse 10 just jumped out at me. And I thought, I don't know why it took me so long to notice that particular verse. But it's in that same concept where Jesus is visiting with the apostle before he goes to the cross. And he gets to that verse, and this is right after I'm the vine and you're the branches, and you know all of that. Well, you come down five more verses, and he said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. And you see what Jesus does when he's going to the cross? He goes all the way back to when God spoke to Moses and said, I am compassionate and tender and forgiving for a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. And Jesus himself said, I am in the Father's love because I keep his commandments. Then he will drop down a little bit later and he will say, "You will, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Obedience is all the way through, and Jesus is by far and away our best example. In Hebrews, the 12, uh, Romans, the, I'm sorry, uh, in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, yeah, the writer to the Hebrews talks about our obedience. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, then he demonstrated obedience. Philippians 2, even though he were in the form of God, he did not think that's something to be held on to, but he took upon himself the fashion of a man, being found in the form of a servant. He became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. Obedient even unto the death on the cross. Jesus was obedient even when it cost him, even when there was a price to be paid. And one of the fascinating passages is over yonder in Hebrews 5 and verse 8. Though he were a son, yet he learned to obey. People read that and say Jesus learned how to obey. Jesus didn't have to learn how to obey. Well, I mean, he did as a child. But by the time he became aware of who and what he was as a man, he already knew obedience. He never had a problem with that. But as eternal God in spirit and not in flesh on this earth, he did have to learn what it means to be obedient. And sometimes there are consequences. And the early church suffered them and faithful people have always suffered them. Again, you go back to Hebrews 11, you get down to the end of the chapter and, and the writer starts talking about all those people who have been persecuted because they were obedient to God, because they were faithful. And he said the earth was not worthy of them. There is a price to be paid for obedience. Obedience was Jesus' sole purpose in coming to this life in this earth. Over and over again, my will is to do the will of him that sent me. I have food to eat of which you do not know. My food is to do the will of my Father. 
Over and over again, Jesus emphasized that the reason I'm here is to be obedient. The reason Jesus came is to help us to become obedient. God wants us to be obedient. I'm so glad that uh, Jerry led trust and obey. There are two reasons for that. Number one, the only real uh, true hymnal that we've ever had is Christian Christian hymns number two. The old GA hymnal. And the first song in that book was Trust and Obey. And the second reason is Brother Otto Christensen, our song leader in the little church where I grew up, about like this one. Uh, about every third Sunday morning, that'd be the first song he'd lead. And so, uh, I, that, that one just kind of became the, the cornerstone for singing. Trust and Obey. God wants, uh, and that's exactly what Jesus did. And he came. Peter says in relation to something else, but it's still true, leaving us an example. Jesus came to obey. That next verse in Hebrews 5 said, Therefore, he has become the author, the source of eternal salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, Uh, I'm sorry, that's Romans. To everyone who believes. Jesus is is the author of obedience. And he is the commander of obedience. Now here's something else. To hear is to obey. But obedience is neither a negative of grace... And grace is not a substitute for obedience. The idea that we can kind of not worry too much about obedience to God's command because we're going to be saved by grace is not scriptural. And it's certainly not the authorization of God. The fact of the matter is, is God gives grace. We are not saved simply because we are obedient. We are saved because God wants to save us. God, on the other hand, has demanded our obedience in exchange for the grace that he has already decided to give. And a person who refuses to be obedient is also refusing to receive the grace of God. You don't get one without the other. Grace is God's responsibility. Obedience is ours. Shame up to hear, to obey. You've seen the old movies that you used to have on television. I hear and I obey, you know. Well, at least it's biblical because that's exactly what the concept is. To believe is to obey. That's what we see in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. But here's an interesting thing. It comes out of Titus, the first chapter. After Paul has talked a little bit about uh, why he left Titus on the island of Crete, and then he talks about the elders... And then he talks about the characteristics and the behavior that go on in Creed. And he warns Titus about what happens when that comes into the church. And then finally, beginning in verse 15, he said that uh, to this purpose, things are to the pure. All things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But... They are defiled and impure. And then he goes on to say, And to those who are unbelieving and disobedient, 
Now, the interesting thing about this is the word for believing in the previous verse, the negative, the word for disbelieving in the next verse, and disobedient are the same word. Because pytho, which is a word that's commonly used, meaning to believe, also was translated to obey. And in the New Testament, it's about a 50-50 deal. It's sort of like justice and righteousness. The translator just sort of translated it however he felt at the morning that time. And so uh, it comes out either way, but it's the same word. In other words, to believe is to obey. If a person does not obey, it's because he doesn't believe. Have you ever heard the old argument that Jesus has got the the Great Commission there in Mark 16? Uh, you go into all the world, preach the gospel. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Shall be damned. And somebody says, see, Jesus didn't say anything about being baptized. He didn't need to. If you don't believe him, you're not going to be baptized. That's not an issue. But if you believe him, you will be baptized. Because obedience is necessary. And Christ, Jesus, personally, himself, is perfectly, completely, totally, and absolutely obedient. We are baptized into Christ. There are so many passages, we're not going into to baptism, but the simple fact of the matter is, it's not just our obedience. We are supposed to be obedient. And I don't need a show of hands to know how many of you have been perfectly obedient, because none of us have made it. But Jesus is, and we are in Christ. And when we are standing before the judgment bar of God in Christ, God is not going to judge us based on our disobedience. He is going to judge us based on Christ's obedience. In the Old Testament, there is a great little passage there in Zechariah where he is told to go get the priest whose name was Jesus, by the way. Joshua in our English Bibles, but that's the same as Jesus in the Old Testament. And he takes him and he says, put a new robe on him and put a crown on him. And there's an adversary there. And the adversary says, no, you don't want to do that. And the beauty of that passage, when you look at it, I think it's chapter 6, maybe a different one. What chapter is it, David? Well, you're no help. But at any rate, the fact of the matter is, is that this, this passage shows us judgment in Christ. And what happens is, God is at the judge. We're standing there before the judgment seat, and our attorney is the judge's son. You talk about a rigged court. Man, we've got it made in the shade. We're in Christ. Christ is perfectly obedient. That's why it is important that we are obedient to the commands of God. So that God sees us as he sees Jesus. That's why Jesus could say, He who believes in me does not come into judgment. He didn't say we wouldn't be at judgment. He just said we won't be judged. Because judgment has to do with punishment. But we're going to appear in Jesus and Jesus is not going to be judged. Jesus is just going to be 
giving up the keys to the kingdom to the heavenly father. And so obedience is a requirement of God. It is exampled by God in Christ, and it is a requirement of existence. It is a requirement of life. It is a requirement for salvation. Jesus commanded faith and repentance and baptism, and then he commanded faithfulness. Some people forget that part of it. But obedience is our avenue, our race to be run. The direction is set, the course is set, the rules are there. Paul encouraged Timothy to run so that he would not run in vain, but would receive the crown that the winner gets. God has got a prize for us for running the race of obedience to its final outcome. Just a minute, Jerry's going to be leading us in a song. If you have some need tonight for which you want to respond to the invitation in a public way, if you'd let us know, we'll get it. We're standing and singing.